We're in, in Romans chapter 15 this week. Romans chapter 15. Written by Paul. Romans 15. And the first seven verses. And so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there or open your app to Romans chapter 15. Follow along with me, whatever translation you have, but as I read in verse 1 of Romans chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, for even Christ, for the insults, I'm sorry, of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7 is our focus. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. As I look around this morning, and as I think about my brothers and sisters who aren't present and all across this country and this world, some I know, some I don't know, but I think about all of them, and we are so different, aren't we? I mean, look at Steve, Steve Flynn over there. I mean, look at Brother Ron, look at Andrea, look at Gage. We're all so different. I mean, little Samuel in the back, how awesome, right? I mean, just, the, the, we got from the youngest to the oldest, we've got from the, the quirkiest to the most polished to the whatever you want to call it. We're all over the place, we're so different. And yet, it's so beautiful when you think about it. And as different as we are this morning... We're here. Here we are. What a wonderful thing. Why? Why are we even here in the first place? And I think it's really because of one reason. Because the one thing that we share this morning is that we have a desire to worship God together. I mean, you may be here for other reasons. Some of them might not be all that bad. But I want to believe, and I do believe, that the primary reason why you're here is because you want to worship God together with other believers. You want to just connect. You want to magnify Him. You want to be filled with Him. And then when you leave, you just want to spill out everything that He is to those around you and to the world around you. That's that's why we're here. We have a desire to be here with one another. We have something that is so much stronger than the differences that we have. Amen? I'm going to say that again. Maybe we can all amen real loud. We have something that is much stronger than the differences that we have. We have faith in Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. I know it doesn't make some of you excited, and I'm sorry. And maybe it's because, and maybe it's because, well, you don't like some of your brothers and sisters. 
fair enough. I mean, we're not going to all get along the best. We're not all going to be buddies and best friends, are we? Not necessarily, but, but at least you're here because you can accept the fact that we are brothers and sisters and that we are here to worship God and that we will do our darndest with God's help to get along and to represent Jesus well and to be one body that he's made us to be. Amen? Amen. It's awesome. Let me give you a summary of our text. I read the first seven verses of chapter 15, but the context really goes back to chapter 14 before this. No, I'm not going to go through all of 14, but I want to encourage you to read that. Because Paul is addressing, as we read, the strong and the weak Christians. He's not addressing the good Christians and the bad Christians. The worse off Christians, the better off. He's addressing the weak and the strong. Why? Because it shows there's difference in maturity at, at, at the fundamental level. There's going to be somebody who's been a Christian for a long time and some who has not been a Christian for a long time in the body of Christ. There's already a difference and diversity there. And that's a good thing. But he addresses the strong and weak. And in particular, in chapter 14, he addresses matters of conscience. And what I mean by that is, he addresses things that are not essential to the faith and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And there are lots of them, by the way. And yet, that's why it's so easy to get hung up on them. In chapter 15, Paul closes this issue by addressing those who are strong. And their need, that the strong have a need to bear with, and to exercise self-denial for the benefit of the weak Christian. Now let me just give you a practical picture of this. How absurd it would be if this wasn't the case and what the principle should be within the church community. Let's say Andrew Kreisick, who has a few-month-old son, right? Samuel, he's back there. He's been a Christian and he's not only that, but he's been on this planet for a while. He knows a little bit about life. He knows things about life. He knows what is hot, what is not. He knows what can hurt him, what cannot hurt him. Well, most of the time, right? And, and the thing is, is that if he were to take an approach that Samuel should, should kind of measure up to and bear with him and not the other way around, we would just simply say that's completely backwards, isn't it? He's got to deal with the inconveniences of knowing that his own child, who's only a few months old, that you've got to deal with certain things. You've got to be patient. You've got to bear with the things that he'll do that will frustrate him or that he'll watch as he learns the hard way even. And, but if it was the other, it doesn't work the other way around. It doesn't work the other way around. And the same is true here. Paul's addressing those who've been Christians or who've been in the church, who've been more seasoned. To, to work with those who are, are not as much. To be patient. To, to accept them. And to welcome them and to make them feel like it's okay and that we'll grow together, right? And he addresses them. Listen, here's the thing. Even though he addresses the strong, he does not exempt any Christian at all in the church from this relational principle in the church. Because in verse 2 he says, each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you 
have fallen on me. He took it. He took all the stuff. He took everything that came upon him from those who didn't see things the right way, those who were immature, those who were blind to the spiritual truths. He still took it all. What? For the sake of those who did all these things to him. How many times has your teenager talked back to you and given you lip? Oh, not mine. Mine's a perfect teenager. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's part of, of, it's a picture. of we don't, we don't tolerate that. We don't accept that per se, but we accept that person still. We're still going to embrace them. They're part of our family, right? They're our children. And we're going to keep going. We're going to ensure that we do everything to make sure that they grow. We'll take it for the team. We'll take it for them. Doesn't mean we won't teach them. Doesn't mean we won't rebuke them. Doesn't mean we won't correct them, but we're going to, we're going to put up with it. Jesus himself did not please himself. And John records in chapter 8 and verse 29 that Jesus affirms this by saying, I always do what pleases him. Jesus always did and pleased God in everything he did. And as a result, Jesus was not only insulted, but he was crucified because of this drive to please God by loving humanity so much that he denied compromising the message of truth about their condition. And he put up with it to the point of death so that they might benefit from it. What an example. What an example. Paul continues in verses 5 and 6 in chapter 15 of Romans with a prayer for a spirit of unity, a like-mindedness, so that their attention is on Jesus as the pattern for their lives, not their individual differences. And I might even say preferences. I, I, I neglected and I apologize, but I'm quoting just a couple sentences from a commentary, and I don't know which one it was, and I wish I wrote it down. But This does not mean that believers are intended to see eye to eye on everything. Excuse me. That crazy pollen, go away. Does not mean that believers are intended to see eye to eye on everything, but that the more Christ fills the spiritual vision, the greater will be the cohesiveness of the church. The centripetal magnetism of the Lord can effectively counter the centrifugal force of individual judgment and opinion. I love that. I'll touch on that in a little bit. See, because then what happens is that with one heart and mind, God will be glorified, as Paul writes, that should happen. See, the summary of all the relationship between the weaker and stronger Christian, in fact, of all Christians, is found in verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Listen, every one another command, we have, as I mentioned before, and you've heard before in studies or in sermons, we have lots of one another commands, especially in the epistles of Paul, to love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, accept one another as we read, um, uh, submit to one another, Love one another. On and on. We have all these one another commands, right? And 
these commands always have a context. And this time, except one another fits in in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, to Romans 15, verse 13. The verb accept means to receive wholeheartedly, to welcome someone to yourself, to grant them admission into your heart, to look beyond anything superficial and to be willing and open to build relationships. In short, it's to love people just as they are. No, and don't mistake me saying that for saying that you will tolerate and say it's okay for someone to remain in sin. I'm not saying that. But you see the person as God sees them and you accept them. And it's, you accept them that way, but not in a way that we intend or hope that they should be. Because we can't possibly know what they should be. Well, we have principles, but God knows that, and He brought us together as one body, one body because Christ accepted us as we are at the foot of the cross in our humility, in our forgiveness and confession, and now He's making us. This is a vital relational need. So let me ask you a question. And if I'm asking only myself this morning, I'm okay with it. I really am. How come? How come we find it hard to accept one another? I know I'm not talking to to you guys. I'm talking to me. But how come we find it hard to accept one another? What is it? See, when we experience the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and we are called out of the world and into the community of believers, the body of Christ, our participation in communion this morning is a testimony, it's going to be a testimony, that we have joined to the body of Christ. And as we gather together, we experience greater spiritual growth, more dynamic testimony, and there's more potent spiritual power than we would have experienced if we remained isolated from the rest of the Christian community and body. You can't escape that. It's a principle. It's the truth. That's how God designed it. And when we come together in fellowship, We not only experience the full presence of Christ, but we're also doing what pleases Him. And this fellowship involves mutual acceptance and a desire to benefit the other individual. Again, I'll say it. The body of Christ is so beautiful. It's beautiful. When I look around, it's just absolutely beautiful at what God has done in your lives, but how He's made you and who He's making each one of you. It's beautiful. And sometimes, admittedly, we can miss it. Right? We can miss the beauty of the body of Christ so often. And if I I could just tell you how it is with me, and, and maybe it's a pretty damning thing to say, but Sometimes we just overlook it. I overlook it sometimes. The beauty in the body of Christ. God, forgive me. We're constantly under threat 
We are. There's a threat from sin, Satan, and ourselves that what God has brought together, what He's made so beautiful, and because He's accepted us and made us one family, there's always this threat to this beautiful thing that we have. If we don't accept one another and if we don't continue to work to be unified and to be one in Christ. And I just want to offer up this morning a heads up, if I could put it that heads up. A warning, a heads up of sorts. Of five threats to genuine spiritual fellowship that you've got to be aware of. Because this thing is so beautiful. Let's not, let's not mar it. Let's not ruin it. Let's not, be, let, let's not miss it. And so I want to give you these five quick threats. The first one is very, 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 it's just, it's so strong. They're all strong, but it's the threat of consumerism. The threat of consumerism to the fellowship, the body, the unity, and the acceptance within the body of Christ is so strong. When I say consumerism, it's this. It's an attitude that says this. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? But if I go, what am I going to get out of it? If I go to that Bible study, ah, what am I, gonna, I already know everything in that Bible study book. What am I, there's so much more that you can get and have. The fellowship, the sharing, the using of our gifts, the, the going deeper into the scriptures, the building up of our spiritual man, then the linking arms and serving together and working. There's so much more. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? See, consumerism is the product of our materialistic culture. And don't be fooled by everything that's gone on in the past 15 months. Our culture, in fact, our world, because it's spread from the West, to be honest with you, and from this country, has infiltrated the entire world with consumerism. What's in it for me? It's all over, right? You see it everywhere. I see heads nodding. Look at the East now. Look at the, even these, these, these nations that two generations ago had nothing. They have more than they need. And it's just this mentality of consuming and taking. And I need that. I want that. And it's everywhere. And then we see the results of that with this big, I don't know how many miles and miles of plastic garbage floating around in the Pacific Ocean. It's, it's, it's proof of our consumerism. It's all about me and my convenience and what I want. And some people come to the church. They come and they join the body of Christ in a meeting like this on an assembly on Sunday or in a group and during the week. And they come in and they have this attitude that they go into this a store and then if they don't find what they want there, they just move on somewhere else. And the mentality is, this place exists to serve me. And if they fail to do so, I will take my business somewhere else. We live in a free country. We have choices. We have all kinds of options. Good, bad, or whatever that is. I don't know. But we have that, that, that it comes into our minds. And the result is that people, well, they church hop. They go from place to place because they, the present place they are doesn't minister to my needs. See, this contradicts the biblical mandate that we are to come to church to serve rather than to be served. Paul challenges the church at Corinth, and he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7, but just as you excel in everything. In other words, he's saying you do all these things well. You excel in faith, you excel in speech, you excel in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us. 
See that you excel in this grace of giving. Now, I know the context here is about financial giving, but it implicates, the implications relate to the, to the whole attitude that we have toward each other. And if this is further explained in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are called to serve rather than to be served. Is that clear? I think it's clear. Consumerism is a threat to the fellowship we have. Secondly, divisions are a threat. I know it's a negative word, and it is a negative word. It's a bad thing. Divisions aren't good. And, and the attitude here, more impo- the threat I think that, that seeps in, is that I want it done my way. I want it done my way. If you have that attitude, you will never be able to accept someone the way Christ has accepted you. If you're always saying, I want it done my way, we'll never have that cohesiveness in unity and in purpose and everything we do because you'll be so stubborn and you'll be so staunch on certain things, you just won't move. I will just demonstrate very simply or, or, or share with you. We've all heard the stories about churches that have had conflicts and issues that spilled over and created a lot of problems because because somebody insisted that the carpet in the church has to be red. And they wouldn't budge. And it's silly. And it's stupid. Frankly, it is. But there are stories of this. How absurd that is. How, it's a misrepresentation of what the body is supposed to be. We major on the minors and we get stuck there and we can't let go of it. And that's what we want to do. We just won't let go. We're not going to compromise. Oh boy, just opinions. And anyone, listen, the strongest words in Scripture are directed to those who cause internal conflicts. Anyone who destroys the intrinsic unity and love within the church through dissension is not only to be avoided in Romans chapter 16, but is in danger of coming under the direct Judgment of God in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 to 17. I'm not making that up. Instead, people are encouraged to resolve their differences and to be united in Christ. Now, don't, 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 if you're listening, and don't, don't take it as I'm implying that there's something going on and there's a subliminal message that I, you know, Pastor Dan and I are aware and we're trying to get the word out. We don't, we'll just come to you directly if there's a problem. We're not going to do it this way, right? I'm just saying, you may have that among yourselves. And if, if you do, if, you're, if you want it done your way, if you're stuck, if you're, if you're all about keeping divisions and causing divisions, stop it, because it's, it's not helping. It's, it's a threat to the fellowship we have in the body of Christ. Thirdly, and this word is real. It was confirmed for me. Uh, I wasn't sure. But it's the threat of independency. Yes, it's an archaic word, never used, but it's independence. Independence! That's what it is. To be independent. The attitude is this. The attitude that threatens the fellowship we have is, I don't need others. I don't need others. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been to a thousand Bible studies. I've taught other people. I've, you fill in the blank. I don't need others. You know what? Oftentimes, people who attend churches, and smaller ones even in particular, are fiercely independent. They don't want to, or they don't, they don't see the need for the assistance of others, and they're shortchanging themselves and others in the process. 
And when they come into the church, they regard themselves to be spiritually self-sufficient people who not only will not admit to any weakness, but also refuse the input of others even when those weaknesses are apparent. It's a bad place to be, by the way, and it's a threat to the body of Christ. The New Testament paints a different picture. We not only need one another, as 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, but only when the congregation, the body of Christ is united in mutual support, are people's needs truly, truly met. I don't need others is a threat. That's an attitude that threatens unity and fellowship. The fourth threat is pretense. You know what pretense is? It's this approach to life that you're going to always put up a front. You're going to pretend. You're going to make everybody think that you're something that you really aren't. You know, it is. It's always difficult for people to be transparent, isn't it? I I admit, it is. By nature, we want to hide our problems, our struggles, and our weaknesses. And yet, genuine fellowship is based upon the openness and honesty that is to characterize the body of Christ. If we're going to develop intimate bonds and grow strong together, then there needs to be an openness to admit our failures, our temptations, and and even our problems, yes. And only then can there be true support and encouragement. I understand. It's hard. I'm not suggesting you just go to anybody anytime and you bare your soul. I get it. There are lots of issues because our trust has been broken so often by so many people. It's called our world. It's called sin and, 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 and the, the, the problems that come with that sin. And so for some of us, we've been through a lot and it's hard. But we've got to work through that with God's help and we can. And I encourage you, be patient. Be compassionate in the process. But put, just tear down that front. Just tear it down. Because it doesn't help in the goal of being all together in one, working and serving for the Lord and demonstrating that unity that we have. It doesn't. Pretense is a threat. Your fronts are a threat to true unity. And finally, and lastly, we have the threat of judgmentalism. Judgmentalism. This one's hard for me. Well, because, well, I know, not, I know none of you struggle with this, but, but there are times when, when I can struggle with that, and, right, in, in different ways. And it's this attitude that we will judge others by our own standards. That's really what judgmentalism is. Oh, it's condemning. There are characteristics of what judgmentalism is. There's a lot of condemnation, not building up. You're putting down, you're squashing rather than correcting and encouraging. I I understand all that. But it's really, in in summary, it said, I am judging others by my own standard. And this is hard for me because I grew up under this. And I have no, and you've heard this, and I have no problem saying how it is in my Slavic Ukrainian culture. And for those who will hear it that are from that church and from that culture, that's fine. I have nothing to hide. But there's a lot of judgmentalism that came out of legalism in that culture. And that judgmentalism was heavy. 
And there's this code, this external code of conduct that corresponds to the nature or even the homogenous, in many cases, nature of a certain group or that church. And this results in spirituality being measured by external cultural standards rather than the inward reality that results in character development. Conduct is evaluated not by the standards of scriptures, but by the standards of the particular subculture. This isn't anything new in the church. James addresses this in chapter 2 of his epistle. And he writes, Let us stop passing judgment on one another. I'm I'm sorry, Paul wrote that in chapter 14. And, and, And James talks about this favoritism that happens when we start to judge and it leads to determining who fits into that standard in chapter 2. You know, he says, the guy walks in, he's got a gold ring, got a nice suit on, let's give him the best seat in the house. Somebody comes in and they don't look quite that way. Ah, Let's just dump them in the back. He says there is no place for that kind of favoritism. In fact, he even goes further. That kind of of favoritism is is absolutely horrible thing because he says, have, in verse 4, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges, and listen to this, with evil thoughts. Judgmentalism has no place and it is a threat to that beautiful unity we have and the fellowship that God wants us to have. Look into your heart. What's your standard when you look at other people? When we, when we get into this judgmental attitude, sometimes, we again, those extra-biblical standards that we base on people and we focus on things that don't really matter. It's about taste and not theology. It's about... It's about these preferences we have and we should just focus on principles and then we judge on external appearances god help us to not do that boy have has that has that been a horrible thing an indictment on many christians and churches when we base things on external appearance and it, that's a terrible thing and sometimes we we judge things on these exaggerated notions we have you know, you can't judge somebody because of your first impression. And you can't judge somebody because of their motives. You don't know their motives. How can you look into their hearts? Only God can do that and weigh somebody's motives. So here, here's the conclusion. And we're going to partake in communion in just a moment. God has called us to accept one another. That doesn't mean that we will condone their sins. That doesn't mean that we will compromise our message. It means, however, that we will be committed to one another. We will accept one another, as Paul says, then just as Christ accepted us. Can you imagine if Christ looked at us and before He accepted us, He determined that we didn't look right? Forget it, it's all over for us because I fail. Or if we said that you didn't do X, Y, and Z according to my standard, we would all fail. Christ is our standard. We are to accept people just as or like the way He accepted us. We as God's people are to reach out and to welcome other believers into our lives, our hearts, and when we do so, it honors God. Remember, remember how verse 7 ends. The purpose for the command to accept each other is so that we could bring praise to God. You know what that means? 
It means that when we don't accept one another, it's hard to bring praise to God. As you go this week, I pray that this would just sink in and that we would uh, grow in our acceptance of one another because Christ accepted us and that we would extend an invitation that Jesus makes not only to those around us in our communities, in our workplace, and wherever we are, but also to one another to come and feast at the Lord's table. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great week. And go with, go with the grace of God.